Kia ora you're on the panel on RNZ National. Lovely to be with you today. Chris Finlayson and Julie Woods today. Now, uh, New Zealand athletics legend Sir Murray Halberg has died. Aged 89, that before 4.30 and tributes are coming in now. Owen says, sad to hear about the passing of Sir Murray. He was much more than a great athlete. The work of the Halberg Trust is incredible and a real and ongoing legacy a great Kiwi, says Owen, 2101 to text. This first, Malachi Subic died in Starship Hospital in November 2021 at the hands of Michaela Barabal, who became his full-time caregiver after his mother was imprisoned earlier in the year. It was horrific and prolonged abuse. Malachi's death has today led to a report by an independent panel and found five gaps in the system that led to his death and made 14 recommendations. Dame Karen Patasi said Malachi became an invisible child. There were those who tried to act but were not listened to. There were those who were uncertain and did not act. There were those who knew and chose not to act. This is not acceptable, and we cannot look away. Among the recommendations, the panel wanted mandatory reporting of children at a high risk of harm, but the government is not yet committing to it. With us is Chief Executive of Child Matters, Jane Searle. Kia ora, Jane. Kia ora. You followed this issue, and including this particular issue, closely, What do you think? Is this enough? I don't think it's enough. I think that at the best it's a start. But We've had lots of reviews and we've had lots of good recommendations such as the ones in this report, but it's whether they get implemented and whether that actually affects the care and protection of our vulnerable children. Yeah, you wrote an op-ed at the beginning of the month saying that for more than 30 years uh, the go-to tool of governments to address the issue of child abuse has been reviews and reports. This is just another. That's right. Well, we've had some very good recommendations out of this report. What we've had some uh, previously, we had some last year out of the advisory board report. This is nothing new and they say similar things. The problem is it takes resourcing and it takes planning to implement the change needed. And we have yet to see politicians who I think have been able to bite the bullet and do that. But mandatory reporting of children at a high risk of harm. It seems a key point. What's your issue with that? I think it's essential. I think that we need to have that mandatory reporting and we need to implement it in a way that is done with good training around around those professionals that need to to report and it needs to be done with clarity. The problem is that we've had successive governments drag their feet on this issue. So other countries have this implemented successfully. The excuse often used is it will overload the system. My answer to that, then fix the system. Well, that's what Minister for Jordan, Calvin Davis, says. He says, quoting, mandatory reporting could see a potential flood of unnecessary reports and we need to find the right balance between reporting cases that need to be flagged uh, and others. But you don't buy that? 
No, I don't buy that. And I think that those that did this report, they did they did research in other countries as well, and they've referred to that in the report. They've spoken to a lot of experts. It can be done well, and we know that, and we can learn from other countries' experiences. The, the implementation and the way that legislation is drafted and the way the training is done when it's rolled out is essential. But I think that is, to say that we can't do it because it may overload the system is looking at it from completely the wrong way. And we know that it can be done properly because other countries have done it. Okay, um, let's go to our panel on this. Julie, uh, how did you see this issue? What thoughts or questions do you have? Well, I think invisibility is a terrible thing, uh, Wallace, Mm. and Malachi was invisible, and so was the family member who raised the issues with regard to his care. And I think um, I agree with Jane completely that the system needs to change and we need to embrace the input from all whānau and all members of the community. We're all trying to um, get the best result here. So why wouldn't you embrace the support from the community and those around the children? All right, Jane, stay there. Let's bring Chris Finlayson in. Yeah, I uh, obviously think uh, that something needs to be done. I wasn't critical of what Kelvin had said because I think often ministers are expected to give instant answers and be instant sages on these matters. Uh, And the drafting of the legislation, as has already been said, will be a tricky game. Uh, And also one just needs to think through all the consequences. So uh, what Kelvin was not saying is that nothing would be done. uh, But what he was saying is that there would be very careful and considered um, study of the report, I think, is appropriate. Yeah, Jane? I agree with what Chris says. However, I think we've looked at this issue a number of times over a number of years, and I think that not just on this report, but in other and other um, other reviews of it. And I think that the time for us to actually implement it is now. And I'm, I'm really looking for a greater commitment from the government because I think we've had a lot of time to consider already. I guess what I uh, take from it as well, Jane, is that I mean a key component of this is this. The system is not interacting and that was fundamental. You've got a number of agencies together and yet it's a system or an interaction process that still allows a young person like this to remain invisible, mm. quote unquote. And people listening to this will go, how on earth is a child like this able to fall through the gaps? Well, it's, it's, it's the right question to ask, but I think when you work, have worked within these systems and worked within these government agencies, you realise they become very transactional and are not actually focused uh, on the way they're designed on the needs of the, of the children or the individuals. And I think it's important to remember that the Malachi case is not an, an isolated incident. No. There are many children whose lives have been put at risk because of the failings of the system. And I think it's important to also note that this isn't the actions of individual social workers that cause this. No. This is systemic problems that those who work in the sector have talked about for years. And cases like his, as I said, but understand it's not through the actions of individual people that cause this. Yeah, just uh, turn your head a bit, a bit, Jane, so we can hear you a little bit clearly. But Chris, it seems to me that uh, if you just go through these critical gaps, one of them being agencies and services are not proactively sharing information despite having the ability. It might seem to me 
just as a layperson, is that that could be something that uh, once given full attention could perhaps be fairly easily remedied. Oh, I think that's a very fair point. And when I was the minister in charge of the intelligence agencies, there were issues about sharing information with the police and, and customs and so on. So it it's um, looking at it from a governmental point of view, Wallace, there's a systemic problem about agency sharing information. Sometimes right. there are requirements and so on but it's a very fair point that's been raised uh, and the siloization of government departments so that this sort of thing can't get out amongst the agencies is not good enough and you you would see that you saw that that siloization i i saw it when i was intelligence minister Interesting. So, Jane, uh, just finally, look, are you confident of change? As you said, and as we've said, uh, we've been here before with previous inquiries. I think it was it you that said a sad litany of past reports. Are you confident at all? I think that it's, it's I, I never give up hope, Wallace, basically, mm. but I, I know that it's going to take a lot of resource and planning to do this well. Uh, what we're looking for is that commitment to do that because we've had good recommendations many, many times. Uh, we've we've got you know, papers full of them. So it's just going to take that commitment to actually put the time and resource into doing it uh, and making sure that the changes are implemented because Oranga Tamariki has so many issues and there are workers in there who are drowning trying to do their job and so we need to assist them to do that. All right, Jane, kia ora. Thanks for your time. That's the Chief Executive of Child Matters, Jane Searle. It's 17 past four. You're with the panel on RNZ National, Julie Woods and Chris Finlayson today. Uh, more New Zealanders are falling behind in their personal and home loan repayments. Signs of financial stress continue to grow thanks to high inflation and a cost of living crisis. 15200 Mortgage accounts are currently past their due date. The number of home loans with missed payments rising for a third month in a row. Uh, you might even be one of those driving back home from work uh, thinking about this very topic. Mm, my repayments uh, come up for renewal in, say, April of next year. Who? Uh, how am I going to make the jump? With us is Keith McLaughlin, Centrix Group Managing Director. Keith, welcome. Well, thank you, Ralph. 15, over 15,000 mortgage accounts. It says a lot when you miss your mortgage payment, doesn't it? Because that is the first thing you try and pay. Yes, you're quite correct. Uh, Kiwis are very good at prioritising who they pay first, and they tend to pay their mortgage first and their car loan second, and then they go on to their credit card and personal loans. So for the trend of increased arrears to now hit the home lending market is, is quite a concern. Gonna hurt, Keith. Gonna hurt. I was talking to a person yesterday fixed uh, at 2.5% last year, facing what? 7.5% uh, next year. It's, I mean, what would that be? It, it'd be just a significant amount of money. Yes, and it's not just the personal um, homes. Uh, when you look at mortgages, they're also secured over lending for small businesses or investment properties. It has a much wider impact on the market than just a person's own home. Yeah. Uh, Julie Woods, this is something that uh, you might have talked to with friends, whanau. It's uh, certainly uh, an issue, isn't it? The one right now, cost of living. Well, of course, it's um, a big problem. And 
I think really as the bank's profits go up, there seems to be less access to communication channels. And I think it's really important that people are able to access uh, the bank easily so that they can have conversations about um, potential problems that might they might face in terms of repayment. It's really important, Wallace, for people to take control of um, the situation rather than it controlling you. I think that's something that you suggested too, Keith. That's correct, yes. <clears throat> um, you know, to, to sit there and do nothing is not the answer. It's really to be proactive. And if you go back to when we had lockdowns during COVID and there was a lot of concern out on the market at that stage, uh, a large number of people went and applied for hardship, which meant that their payments were deferred until there's more certainty. And most credit providers and lenders are very happy to work with consumers to right. help them through these types of situations. So Julie's quite correct to make, make contact. Who can recall paying 18% interest in 1987? Text me, 2101. I know uh, the price of a house was about the same as an SUV today, so it wasn't a lot, but 18% interest. Chris Finlayson. Now, cost of living, it's the big issue at the moment, and... You know, my heart goes out to people who are flying around the country. Last year, uh, a flight to Auckland was about $100, $150. Now, uh, I think the Herald had an article today, um, a round trip's getting up toward $1,000. $1, and uh, you cannot get through to Air New Zealand. I mean, I heard someone say, well, get in touch with the bank. But mm. so often, it's an 0800 number, and you can't get through. At this sort of time, we need humans talking to humans. We don't want to spend half an hour on an 0800 number. And I'll stop there because I'm getting emotional because of my experience last week with Air New Zealand. Tell me about it, Chris. Tell me about it. I was on the phone waiting for over 65 minutes, and when the person came on, I wasn't crabby or anything. I simply said, why was the option where someone phones you when your number comes up in the queue? Why wasn't that available today? Oh, I don't think that system's been activated today. And so the, 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 the people are so unfair to uh, travellers, they don't seem to care that these people need help, quite apart from the exorbitant price gouging that's going on at the moment. And I know Grant Robertson, as a shareholding minister, is not responsible for operational things, but it's so bad that the government needs to have a talk to Mr. Foran and to Therese Walsh. It cannot continue. You're a grumpy man screaming at the clouds, Chris. <laughs> You're a grumpy man screaming at the clouds. For goodness sake, we've just been through a massive uh, pandemic, the disruption of the likes of which we have never seen. Wouldn't you expect anything else? I mean, of course, uh, airline prices are a grand. Of course, you have to wait for 65 minutes. You may say that. I totally disagree. And I'm not grumpy. I'm despairing. I would love to I hear. I waited four hours, Wallace. I was on the phone for four, <laughs> four hours. hours. Oh, that's a beauty. Mate, that puts puts my complaint in perspective. All right. We, oh, now look at the feedback. 
extraordinary. Uh, here we go. This, we're coming back to this tomorrow. I waited for over two hours to get through last week. I ended up going to the airport as it was quicker. Good on you, Chris. <laughs> well said. At last, Chris Finlayson, stake in the ground. We'll come back to it. But to this. One of New Zealand's greatest ever athletes, Sir Murray Halberg, has died aged 89. Halberg was best known for winning the 5,000-metre gold medal at the 1960 Olympics in Rome. He was the first Kiwi to break the four-minute mile. He also won gold at the Commonwealth Games in 1958. In 1962, veteran sports broadcaster Brendan Halford spent time in Rome with Sir Murray Halberg and Sir Peter Snell to record the documentary series Dreams of Gold, New Zealand's Olympic Odyssey. With us now is Brendan Halford. Kia ora, Brendan. Kia ora, Wallace. Really sad news this afternoon. It's just broken half an hour ago. Uh, Sir Murray Halberg has died. We all know him as one of our most celebrated Olympians, what I'd like to know, Brendan, is what was he like as a person? Uh, yeah, I, I knew you were probably going to ask me something like that, and I almost want to kick myself for falling back on some hoary old cliche, but uh, he was just the perfect gentleman. I mean, he's an extraordinary person, Murray. After a successful athletic career, he could quite easily have gone into a successful, and I imagine financially very rewarding mm. A coaching career or administration. He had an enormous mana uh, as a person because of what he'd done as an athlete. But he gravitated not unnaturally towards those athletes with disabilities. He himself uh, ran that day in Rome. In fact, all his running career, he ran with a disability because when he was at college, a keen rugby lad, he got smashed up in an injury uh, in a match uh, playing for his college and his arm was virtually rendered useless or as he once told me it, it was withered and it was withered for the rest of his life so he clearly couldn't play rugby any longer and so he took up athletics and uh, became very successful as we know one of the great moments in New Zealand sport in fact that hour in Rome yeah. um, when Snell won the 1500 metres and 60 minutes later uh, Helberg won the 5000 both coached by Arthur Lydiard and to do this in track and field the main sport at the Olympic Games and to win two of the glamour events within 60 minutes athletes coming from a tiny country down the bottom of the world was extraordinary it still rates as probably the greatest single hour yeah in the history of our sport. But Murray uh, dedicated virtually the rest of his life to helping uh, those people who wanted to play sport but found it difficult because of either mental or physical disabilities. Goodness knows how many millions of dollars he must have raised and the work that he did and the um, academy that he established helping those athletes with disabilities to uh, extract some hopeful, you know, some meaningfulness out of life despite the difficulties they were having and this is what I think most of us who know Murray remember him for and he did it quietly he's lived for the last 20-30 years on Waiheke Island, his mm. health hadn't been good uh, for some time but um, he was devoted to disabled sport and disabled athletes and I think he would probably hope that we would remember him first and foremost for what he did in that field rather than that day or other days of uh, success he had as an international athlete it's interesting to say that, Brendan, because the tri tributes are coming on through and many people will say, please honour the work of uh, his work with people uh, with disabilities. And I, as an uh, athletics fan, uh, just loved his work along with uh, other sporting heroes on track and field. 
Julie. Sorry? Julie yes. Woods, um, are you I there? Mean, an ab- absolute hero of the disability community um, of which I belong. And it is just an amazing contribution. I'm reminded of a Helen Keller quotation where she said, life is an exciting business and most exciting when lived for others. What an exciting life Murray Halberg led. Yeah, Chris. Well, I think Julie expressed it beautifully. I think that one of the reasons why he ranks as a true hero for New Zealanders is not simply that hour, as Brendan said, in Rome, which was so fabulous, but it was the work that he did for disabled people. He's my idea of a sports person because these days it's so often about the money and the glory to the individual, but he was totally unselfish. So, yes, of course, we are sad that he has passed away, but we uh, rejoice that he lived among us for so long and that he made such a profound contribution to the disability sector. Mm. He really was one of our greatest sports people. And his legacy living on with these Halberg Awards, Brendan. Uh, Exactly, yes. And he always played a very low-key role on the night of the Halberg Awards. Uh, Just, again, in keeping with the man, he just shunned publicity. Uh, He wasn't a person who was grumpy with uh, the demands of the media or anything like that, like some politicians, particularly those that have got to wait for 65 minutes to get a phone call through. But uh, he... he, I praised you. Now, you stop that. I praised you, Brendan Telfer. (laughs) Uh, Chris, I have a lot of sympathy with you because I've just spent the last 25 minutes stuck in traffic and sweating at the fact that I couldn't get my vehicle to the windscreen repair place on time and I was going to miss my spot. Um, and so I had my phone on my, um, you know, on the recorded message being told every 30 seconds, well, sorry, we can't talk to you at the moment. We, our lines are busy. But um, anyway, but getting back to Murray, he had, he had this extraordinary humility and humbleness about him, which um, you don't see that often these days in sportsmen or, or particularly at the top. But um, uh, and I suppose one of the fondest memories I have of Murray is that in the year 2000, Television New Zealand decided to make a documentary about our first 100 years at the Olympic Games. And the producers had this very uh, good idea, and it came to fruition of taking Murray Halbert and Peter Snell back to the Olympic Stadium in Rome, which is now, I think, the home of AS Roma, one of the top football clubs in Europe. And so we took them back there, and we just got them to walk around the track recalling their uh, intimate kind of stories and memories from that day in September 1960. And as the reporter, I was going to just ask some little questions, but we had about 15 or 20 minutes while the camera was being set up and the lights were being put in place and this trailer was put in place. And I was listening to Murray and Peter, and I thought there's no way in the world they need some sports jock to get involved here. So I just said to the producer, I said, why don't we just let these two have a conversation? They are in awe of the fact that they're back at the very venue where they established this extraordinary one hour of sporting uh, history in New Zealand. And so we rolled the camera and they just talked for the duration. I think they must have gone round about 10 or 12 laps because they had so many stories to tell about their time in Rome, uh, the experiences with Arthur Lydiard, who coached both yes. of them, and the extraordinary tactics, particularly as far as Murray is concerned, on that race, the 5,000 metres. Never before in a 5,000 metre race had you seen a leader of the race go, as they say, uh, 1,000 metres from home. 
but um, he Unreal. had been trained on the Lydia principles, yes. um, high mileage for months prior to the Olympic Games, and Arthur knew that when Murray went, he had the speed, he had the determination, and he had the oxygen capacity to run at that speed for the last 1,000 metres, and the world was shocked. had never seen anything like this before, and with his withered arm, he ran up the home straight and collapsed and won the gold medal and completely revolutionised how to run uh, middle distance races, particularly at the end of them. So, um, but he again was very humble about it all and played it down all the time for the rest of his life and gave all the credit to Arthur. And uh, Arthur certainly deserved a lot of credit, but um, uh, it was the likes of Murray and Peter Snell as well who um, made that something very special and will always be, I think, one of the most remarkable 60 minutes in the history of sport in this country. Brendan Taufer, Kia ora. Appreciate your time this afternoon. That is a veteran sports broadcaster, Brendan Taufer, uh, uh, on spending time in Rome with Sir Murray Halberg and Sir Peter Snell. We have Chris Finlayson and Julie Woods on the panel this afternoon, and I've been doing this program here, the panel, for about three years now, and it's the very first time that I've had a text from Mum, and she simply says, thank you, Mr. Finlayson. 